Welcome to Stand Alone. I'm Sabrina Lloyd, founder and CEO of Lloyd Agencies, a multi-million dollar company that ranks as one of the most successful in the insurance industry. My passion is empowering people to become the leaders that they were meant to be. With each episode, I'll teach you how to go from ordinary to extraordinary, how to think like no one else, how to stand alone. It's time we create massive success for ourselves. Welcome to Stand Alone, where we only bring you the best of the best, because this is how we go from being ordinary to extraordinary. And we are in the presence of greatness today. So when I got into the business world, I once heard this quote from Peter Drucker, and he said that marketing is the distinguishing unique function of business. And so I knew I had to learn about marketing. And there's only one person that you could go to who is the genius of marketing. And I say this because Seth Godin has written 20 bestsellers, but not only that, they've been interpreted in 37 languages. And these books have deeply affected how I run my business. But today, Seth, I wanted to invite you to our audience so that we could really dive into this conversation about what marketing really is and why it's so important, not just for business, but today I want to talk about the marketing of our life. You know, and you do this so beautifully in your book, This is Marketing. And to kick this off, you know, I call you a genius because to me, a genius is not someone who just knows a lot. It, it is genius to take something complex and to communicate it powerfully and simply. That takes genius to me. And you do this so very well in all of your books. And so I just thank you for your excellence in your work and your continuous dedication to your craft. And I want to kick this off by opening up everyone's eyes today. You know, we're like in an awakening moment in human history. And you talk about this as you open up your book where you said, we are like the fish who doesn't understand the water, right? And we fail to see what's actually happening. And so I wanted to ask you to kick our standalone off today is what do we need to know specifically about what marketing is relative to the goal of who we want to attract. When you talk about the small few, I think this is genius because a lot of people are like, everyone, everyone's my customer, but you say, no, 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 pull that one back. Can you kick us off with explaining that to us? Because this is how we get better. So we can go from ordinary to extraordinary. Well, thank you for having me. I'm renaming your show. It's called Stand Together because okay. uh, you make me better. You make the people who are listening better. And the entire point of any of our work is that it alone doesn't work, that we are in a dance, a dyad, a connection with other people, whether they're customers or suppliers or coworkers. And when we have conversations like these, it makes both people involved in the conversation better. And so thank you. Thank you for showing up the way you do and doing this work. Um, 
you touched on a couple of the ideas in my book. The first one is marketing isn't what people think it is. It's not hype, it's not hustle, and it's not advertising. In 1972, if you were in the marketing department, you were in the advertising department because advertising was a miracle. It's a miracle because you could spend a dollar and make $2 on the regular every day. And so all you had to do to be good at marketing was be good at advertising. Mm -hmm. And as television faded away, advertising stopped working the way it used to. And so selfish marketers decided hustle was the answer. How do I invade people's space? How do I spam them? How do I trick them? And you and the people who are listening to this, that's not for you. So what is marketing? Marketing is making things better by making better things. Marketing is everything we do and how we do it. It's the reputation we build. It's getting the benefit of the doubt. It's treating other people with dignity. It's giving people uh, a voice and a face. It is realizing that we are in connection. Those are all marketing choices. So if we think about a company like Volkswagen, it doesn't matter whether the car's driver or not, they lied about Dieselgate. They tricked people. They did, forgot to build a line of electric cars. And so now they're suffering. Is it because they have bad ads? No, it's because the marketing department forgot to meet with the engineering department years ago. That's all marketing. So with that said, I'm ranting here, so you should interrupt me at any time. With that said, who can we market to mm -hmm. or with? And the fact is, if you think your customers are everyone, you've decided to not matter. If you are trying to please everyone, you've decided to be invisible. Because, you know, my books have all been bestsellers. Fewer than 1% of the U.S. population has bought them. The Kardashians are the model for a lot of people. Almost nobody, by a rounding error, interacted with them yesterday. It's always a small percentage, even for giant brands. That's not your goal. Your goal is not to reach everyone. Your goal is to reach someone, to matter enough to someone that they would miss you if you were gone, to matter enough that they will tell their friends. And the people who say, I want everyone, they skip those steps because they're afraid. Mm -hmm. So show me the people who would miss you if you were gone, and I will show you where you should begin. This is very, very important. You know, and you do this very well in your book by diving into a hunter mindset. And you touched on this where there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of noise. And, you know, really what this creates is distrust, which you spoke about, but then moving to like the roots and the farmer mentality. And I want to talk about this because you talk about a chasm and this is so powerful that people understand this because you very well talk about how we have to go from one type of customer to another type when you're talking about the early adopters and then we're going into the mass market so as we go through this you have to have a farmer mindset or you're never going to make it you're going to be looking for the next hype could you please explain this to our audience about really the cycle of how marketing works, which is really how our lives work, right? You better be able to jump and build that bridge to get across that chasm. So if, if you could explain, you know, what early adopters are, building the bridge to the chasm, and then getting into that mass would be awesome. Sure, I'll try. So correct me if I got any of the facts wrong, but 
you've built a multi-million dollar business selling insurance. Correct. And have hundreds or thousands of customers, but not hundreds of thousands of customers. And the state you're in has more than a million people in it. So almost nobody is your customer. And the people who became your customers all had to leave the place where they used to have insurance. Because, you know, if, if you're, if you have a clothing store, you're not selling to naked people. They have clothes before they get there. If you have a food store, you're not selling to people who have never eaten anything. They have food at home before they got there. People are making choices. Mm -hmm. And some people in some situations choose to go first. They choose to do a new thing because they like it being new. Some people go to the movies the night the movie opens. Some people want the new model of a Rivian pickup truck. Other people, different people, different times, don't want to have anything to do with anything new. They're risk averse. They want the regular kind, right? Heinz ketchup doesn't say this is new. Heinz ketchup says, this is trusted. This is the one your mom gave you. It's a totally different story. So when we show up in the world to bring a new idea, to start a new business, to launch a new book, we get to say, hey, it's new. Mm-hmm. We can't sell that to anybody who hates new because we just told them it was new. Ignore those people. It's not for you. Sorry, this is only for people who want something new. This is an insurance agency that is run by me. And if you don't want to deal with me, yeah, go ahead and call that old guy over there. He's been around for 50 years. He'll bore you to death. But if you want me, I'm over here. And if you can't own that, then people aren't going to find you. So we start by dancing with the early adopters. So in this case, you know, I wrote a book called Purple Cow. When I first shipped it, it came in a milk carton. There were only 5,000 5, of these. You were not one of the people who bought the first 5,000. No, I wasn't. The only people who bought the first 5,000 already knew my work and read my column and sent me $5 in the mail. They didn't know what they were getting. They took a chance. They wanted to take a chance. Only 5,000 people. And then they put the milk carton on their desk. Why? Not because they like me, not because they're rooting for me, but because if the people they work with see the milk carton, they'll ask about it. It will increase their respect for this person who's an early adopter, who's a nerd, who's a leader. And maybe those people will like the ideas enough that the company will change, which will make these people happy. And so the word spreads. So you were probably person 300,000 to read the book, Purple Cow. And you didn't read it because I sent you a piece of spam. You didn't read it because I called you at home during dinner. You read it because someone told someone who told someone who told someone. And by the time it got to you, you had to read it because you were surrounded by people who were talking about it. And that is how we grow anything. That is how Nike grew. That's how Apple grew. That's how Microsoft grew. Any company you want to name, politicians, that's how they grew. You don't get a chance to show up and give a speech to everybody. You get a chance to give a speech to 10 people. And then what happens? This is so good, you know, for a lot of people too, to understand when you come into a space, you, you know, especially for me, you want to do everything and so much, but, you know, you really have to control your emotions and then you have to understand the emotions and the feelings of your customer. And I would really love for you to dive into this because you talk about uh, the irrational forces that drive all of us. 
And I really think this is where we are in human history today. But as I look at this, I really come to understand, no, this is how it's always been. Correct. We've always been irrational and we're just more aware of our irrationalities in today's time. And you do this so beautifully. If we can talk about this chasm, because you also share in your book, the trough of delusionment. And I love this because a lot of people are stuck in this moment, Seth, where they need help to get through this. How do we get through this? Um, and you talk about tension. If you can tie this in, this is so powerful for people to understand. Well, I will try. I'll do the tension part. You can then push back on me about the trough part. How does that yes. sound? Perfect. Okay. So it is tempting to want to show up in the world and say, I have something so good. Everyone's going to want it. All I have to do is tell them it's here. And that never happens. It never happens. If you're a party planner, and you're going to throw a party on Saturday night at a local club, and it's only $5 to get in. You think that's irresistible, and no one's going to come. No one's going to come because they're afraid, because they're insecure, because they don't want to see their status go down, because they want to know what everybody else is doing, because it's easier to just stay home. The only way to get anybody to take action is the same way that we shoot a rubber band across the room. You have to pull it backwards before you let it go, or it doesn't go anywhere. The tension always accompanies change because in the back of our head, we're wondering, is it worth it? Will we feel stupid? So we have to create tension. The tension is there's only a hundred tickets and then the price goes up. The tension is it's gonna sell out. The tension is only five people get to be my first customer. The tension is this thing isn't gonna be new tomorrow. So if you want it when it's new, you gotta come right now. We can go down the list of all the things that cause early adopters to go first, right? And then toward the end of the deal, where's the tension? Well, everyone's talking about this show on Netflix and you don't have Netflix. Now there's tension because you feel like if you don't get Netflix, everyone's gonna hate you like in high school. So you have to go get it just to keep up with people. And so you don't have to like the fact that you have to pay for Netflix, but you're gonna do it because you really like the idea of being in sync with people again. So we have to be aware of what forces are mm -hmm. acting in our culture that cause people to take action. You know, if we think about, so I don't have no idea if you had anything to do with life insurance, but if you think about life insurance, first of all, it's death insurance because you don't win until you're dead. Number two, why are you spending your money today to get something that you will never get, right? And the answer is because what you're buying is a story. And it's a story about being a good person. It's a story about taking care of your family. And what you are facing is the story you could tell yourself of, boy, I'm going to feel really stupid if I die and I don't have life insurance because now I will have let everybody down. That's what people are selling when they sell life insurance. We sell stories to people, stories that create tension. Now, if you are using that against somebody to manipulate them, then I can't help you because you should do work that you're proud of. You should do work that when people know what you know, they're still glad they did it. So if you create tension around that party you're organizing and a lot of people come and it's a great party, no one on their way out is going to say, you shouldn't have done that thing with the FOMO and making me feel like I would be left out. They're going to say, thanks. I'm really glad I came to the party. And that's the opportunity that we have. 
to realize that no one's buying what you make because it is demonstrably in a blind taste test better than anything else. The chances of that are very low. Beats headphones do not sound better than Koss or Sennheiser headphones. They just don't. That using the Google search engine does not give you better results than using Ecosia. In a blind study, you can't tell the difference. It's the story. That's the business that we're in. Yeah, and this is really, it ties into what you what you talk about, about us just wanting to be perfect because no one starts off great. And for a lot of people to get, you know, to, to get in, inspired by that, like we are all ordinary, but it's the ones that keep moving through that can like drive it to extraordinary. And, you know, going back to this, uh, the trough, you know, it reminds me of your book, The Dip, because when I read that, it really, everyone should read this. Every entrepreneur should read this because when you're in this moment, you got to keep going, but you can't keep going if there's no trust, Seth, you know, and you talk about tension, but you also talk a lot in your book about empathy and trust. And I would really like for us to spend some time on this where you can dive into marketing has to be where there's great empathy for your customer, finding the right customer, and then learning their dreams and their desires, uh, attaching to that instead of us designing the perfect product and trying to push it on as many people as possible, which is what a lot of companies are failing so miserably at doing. If you can, if you can touch on that, that would be wonderful. Why we need to have trust and empathy Sure. to really be uh, creative and to get to that extraordinary place. Okay, so let's, they're, they're pretty separate, but let's try this. Another word for trust is the benefit of the doubt. Okay. If you tell me that we're going to do this recording at 11 a.m. my time, I show up at 11 a.m. because I trusted that when you said it was going to start at 11, it would start at 11, right? That's different than if someone who's let you down in the past and hasn't shown up a few times says, I'll be there too. You're like, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't because you don't give them the benefit of the doubt. So if Nike shows up and says, we have a new sneaker, it will make you run faster. A lot of people who have experience with Nike will give them the benefit of the doubt. They don't need more proof than that. So what we're seeking as we're building a business that makes a change happen is a group of people we have earned trust with. So if the only way you're getting attention is by hustling and hassling and spamming, why are you surprised that no one's giving you the benefit of the doubt? You know that person who's constantly sending you spam about some prince in Nigeria who left you a whole bunch of money in a briefcase? If that person showed up tomorrow with a real offer, you wouldn't take it because they haven't earned the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. The second part where you're talking about with empathy I grew up uh, in Buffalo, New York, and that was the headquarters of Fisher Price, the people who make those toys, like the little lawnmower popcorn popper when you were two or three years old. Mm -hmm. They have a R&D facility there with a glass window and a bunch of preschool kids that they watch all day. And it's like a free preschool you can drop your kids off at. As far as I know, there are no three-year-old toy designers, certainly none that work at Fisher Price. There are no three-year-olds who are designing the next toy. But if you're 35, you're not designing it for you because you're 35. You would look stupid with a little wooden popcorn popper toy. You're designing it for a three-year-old. That's empathy. 
you're not saying this is what I need. You're saying this is what they might need. If you're a chef and you're not hungry, you can still make a good dinner, right? That if you're making pantyhose, you don't have to be a woman. You just have to have an understanding of the dreams and the desires and the expectations of the people you are serving. So one of the mistakes that small business people make, there's a two-part mistake. Part one, they insist that everybody view what they made through their eyes. And two, they lie to themselves that what they make is better. When in fact, they wouldn't buy it if somebody else made it. They just want to be able to buy it because they made it. And instead, what we need is the maturity to say, you know what? There's lots of people who can sell you insurance or sushi or sneakers, lots of them. What I'm going to bring to the table is not that I can prove that the molecules in my thing or that the basis points in my mortgage broker are better than yours. What I can bring to the table is I'm going to be more human. I'm going to see your pain. I'm going to see your fear, your desire, your love, your connection, because I can bring that right here, right now to you. And that's what people want. They don't want to save two basis points on their mortgage. What they want is to be seen and understood. And this is really important for today where everything is so tech and data driven, where people are, you know, they don't go and talk to someone and say, what do you think? How do you feel to drive that empathy and to grow it? They go to a report. And they're studying the numbers and they're letting the numbers tell the story instead of to listening to people's actual stories. Right. So I love that you're saying this because if, if we are to design ourselves, like start marketing ourselves for the future, what would you say is something that we have to really go to work at right now so that we can have an edge so that we can be better. We are more marketable as a human being walking into the future. If I was starting today, I wouldn't make products. I would make communities. I would figure out how to organize 50, 500, 5,000 people into a community. If you can organize a community of interest, you will never have trouble making a living. The organizers of communities, maybe it's a trade show, maybe it's 500 people who share salary information so they can get a better raise next time around. Maybe it's uh, a group of people who want to travel together. May, you know, there, was, there was a woman who started a cruise line before COVID just for uh, lesbians. Because if you're tired of feeling like an outsider, here's a place where you can be an insider, where every single person here is going to be on the same journey as you. And she didn't need to own a boat because you can charter a boat, not too much money. What you need is a community of people that want to spend time with each other. And then you can make a living. Who has a problem that will go away if they could just be organized? And the number of communities that need to be organized is huge. And you don't need money. You just need empathy. I think this is powerful. I have a question for you. How do you recommend that business owners deal with non-believers? You know, how, how do you go about making sure that your community is filled with, you refer to them, you know, as super fans almost right. instead of non-believers because a non-believer is dangerous to a community. Yeah. I, I have a very simple answer and it's, uh, 
a word that most people would not expect to be associated with interacting with a non-believer, and it's thank you. Thank you for letting me know where you're headed. This bus is going to Cleveland. Do you want to go to Akron? The, the bus station's over there. Thanks for speaking up. I hear you. You have told me something about you and where you're going. That's fantastic. I can't argue with you. That, that line's over there. Thank you. That's amazing. So that was, that, was, uh, that was amazing how well you put this because for a lot of us, we struggle. We think it always has to be a war. But when I read your book, you talk about a dance. And I love that because I need a little bit of dancing in my life and, instead of it just always being a war that I'm in. So I love that you say this. You know, uh, Seth, you do an amazing job of describing to people that you have to stand for something. And I think that in this time in human history, we are the most comfortable doing that than we ever have been. And why do we still have to go to work on that? Still have to be able to know what it is that we stand for, be okay testing it, repositioning it. If you could elaborate on that, because I truly see that we are marketing to ourselves all the time. And when we become great marketers to ourselves, then we can truly understand how to market to others. But why do we, you say this, we are this, not that, right? You talk about, we stand for something. And then it ties into culture where you talk about people like us do things like this. Can you, can you touch on standing for it and, and what that means in terms of culture? Yeah. So I, I'm not sure I agree that uh, small business people are really good at this. And that's why I needed to highlight it. So let's pick the profession that has the most independent small businesses of any profession in the US, which is real estate brokers. In my experience, real estate brokers try to fit in all the way. They have the same cars. They have the same business cards. Someone starts using the word team to describe their real estate brokers. And now everyone has the team, right? That mm -hmm. there's a lot of similar behavior because basically... Most of them have adopted the slogan, you can pick anyone and I'm anyone. I am just, just like everybody else except here I am, pick me please. That's not standing for something. Standing for something is to say, I only sell in this zip code. Standing for something is I only sell condos. Standing for something is I only sell people who are, are you know, dealing with a divorce. And we understand that's complicated when you're looking to buy or sell a home. We have a specialty. And if that's not what you need, here's the phone number for someone else who can help you. And my measure of this is if you are not busy sending prospects to someone else who might be considered your competition, then you don't stand for anything, right? That if you call up the Ritz Carlton in Chicago and say, I'd like to stay the night, but I only have $69. They don't try to persuade you to spend $400. They, sell their, they say, there's a Motel 6 down the street. Here's their number. Because they stand for something. And so if you want to be great at what you do, you should be sending a significant number of inquiries to your competition. Because they're not your competition. Because you stand for something. And that is missing from most of the struggling small businesses that I know. Yes, this is a really good point. When I came into business, it was, it was a lot about 
carving my own path. This is where standalone comes from, where I wanted to carve my own path, yep. but I, it should be like standalone, find a community so we can stand together. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly really right. And yeah. then, you know, the people like us do things like this. It's easy to misunderstand that as being about demographics, meaning what you look like, how much money you make, what your accent is. I'm not talking about that at all, at all. What it means to be people like us is what we believe, where we are headed, what our optimism is like, what our choices are. If you want to be an insider in those choices, this is what we, all those insiders are doing here, right? But there's no room in my definition for isolating people because of something that isn't a choice on their part, right? So I just want to make it really clear that what we are doing here is building community, not dividing the culture. I love this. And you talk about it where you talk about treat people differently. We are different. And then be able and allow them to express that. You even, you do that when you refer someone to another company, to another product, you are treating them respectfully. You're treating the economy, the, the system, the marketplace respectfully. And I love that because I've always believed in that. Uh, you know, and really what we're talking about is, is leadership. You know, so much of my success has been on just understanding the principles of leadership and, and change and influence. How do you, how do you understand marketing relative to change? You know, because are you trying to use marketing to change? And I'm trying to be careful with my words. So it's not manipulation, right? versus marketing to change someone, to grow them, to make it better. How you ask this question in your book, like is marketing evil? And I love the way you answer that. And a lot of people should really read the book to get the bigger picture of what marketing is so that you're not the fish in the water, but you're aware of your surroundings. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, you know, if you work in the accounting department, your job is to keep score. Mm -hmm. If you work in the factory, your job is to make widgets. If you work um, in accounts payable, your job is to collect the money so the, or accounts receivable. So the question is, what do you, is your job if you work in marketing? And your job is to make change happen. If no change happens, why did you go to work? You're trying to change non-customers into customers, non-believers into believers, people who are good customers into great customers. But on a much bigger level, you're trying to turn lonely people into connected people. You're trying to turn fearful people into brave people. You're trying to turn people who are struggling into people who are comfortable. That's what we do. We make change happen. That's our only job. And what it means to manipulate people is to change them to benefit you, not them. And what it means to lead people is to change them to benefit them. And it turns out that if you can get good at that, you won't have any trouble making a living, right? Nike changes struggling couch potatoes into people who feel more fit. That's what they do. And they create all this hoopla around it, which, I mean, the sneakers from 20 years ago are just as good as the sneakers today for anybody who isn't an Olympic athlete but they keep changing them to seduce people into getting off the couch. That's what they do, right? And 
name any brand you want, whether it's for consumers or for businesses. If it's an important brand, if it adds value, it's making a change happen. Harley Davidson turns disrespected outsiders into respected insiders. That's what they do. They just happen to make motorcycles. Yes. And you, you talk about the need where in your book, you talk about nobody needs your product. If you could explain to our audience when you're in business, get away from the need and go into what is it that they want? And you use that quarter drill bit as an example, which is really great. If you could touch on that. So people see the, how, like, how do you get your, your ask the right questions, come up with better answers. Right. So Ted Levitt, who was the grandfather of modern marketing, wrote an article in 1962. And he said, nobody needs a quarter inch drill bit. They go to the hardware store because they need a quarter inch hole. And the only way to get a quarter inch hole is to buy a drill bit, but you don't actually need the drill bit. You need the hole. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's only a tiny part of it. No one needs a hole. What you need is a way to hang your shelf. Well, no one even needs a shelf. What you need is the way it makes you feel when your spouse sees that you hung a shelf and they say, thank you. That's what you went to the hardware store. You went to the hardware store for the thank you. You went to the hardware store for the sense of satisfaction that you got from putting a shelf up yourself. Those are not needs. Those are wants. Mm-hmm. And we live in a world where more people than ever, still not enough, but more people than ever have food and water and decent health. And so if those are your customers, you're not just selling them you know, rice and a blanket, but you're actually selling them something that takes them to the next level, you're selling them something that they want. And don't get so hung up on if you need blank, I have blank, because that just makes you, you know, a victim of Google. If I get found, I win. If I don't, I lose. It makes you a victim of who has the lowest price because the internet's really good at showing who has the lowest price. And if your position is I'm the cheapest one, now you're having a race to the bottom. And the problem with the race to the bottom is you might win. Yes. And this is an important discussion for entrepreneurs today, because a lot of people are so excited about starting their own business, but you really have to understand like the bigger picture. Someone asked me one time, you know, what do you do? And I said, I think, like, I think a lot. I think about what people want. I think about how to get it. Then I implement and execute on my thoughts, you know? And they were looking at me and they're like, no, what actual stuff do you do? And I'm like, no, that's what I do. This is what I do. So I love that we're having this discussion. And to package this all together towards the end, you you really greatly say like, this is a story of the self. Like, what is your story? Then you tie into, this is a story of us. And then you talk about, this is a story of now. You know, if we could go into those three things, like first with the story of us, why does our story matter? Why does that matter? So this is from the work of Marshall Gans, G-A-N-S. I encourage people to go find it. He's very generous in how he talks about it. He's getting on an age. He's at Harvard. Um, And what he talks about is if you want to cause change to happen, there are three steps, right? And the first step is this person I'm talking to, how do they see themselves? How do I make it clear to them that I see them the way they see themselves? The second cycle is, 
the story of us. Why does your action have anything to do with me or the people around you and the people you care about? And then the third question people ask is, well, why can't I just do this later? Because later is safer than now. And so these three things, I see you, I see us, let's go now. Those have to be in place in order for you to do actual work that matters. So just to be really clear here, you could probably start a Shopify store. You could probably tell your 40 friends about it. You could probably make decent money for three days because they're doing it to support you because their connection to you matters. But you haven't done anything hard. You haven't actually solved a problem. You've created a small problem, which is I would quit my job. I need your help. Okay, people helped you. But a month from now, you're going to be struggling big time because you don't stand for something because we're not going to miss you if you stop. And that's why community is so important because if any of the communities I belong to threaten to disappear because they like I, every morning in the spring and summer, I take my canoe out on the river down uh, from here about three miles. If the Palisade Boat Club got into trouble, I would show up immediately to help them because I would miss it if it were gone. There isn't an easy substitute because of that community. So, you know, yes, I like dealing with the people down the street at Allstate because they've done a fine job of taking care of my insurance. But if Frank retired, I'd find another insurance broker, right? It's because it's not like there's a community there to be replaced. It's just a problem to be solved. And your opportunity here, if you're going to bother to show up in a world with so much surplus like our world, is you got to create something. You can't just take a little share of it. And then building the community is so incredibly important because that's what people attach to. You know, if you can, if you can touch on connection, like when, when you're asking and seeking, a lot of people just want the answer right away. And, you know, the answer, we all know the answers. We just don't think about it or we think that everyone wants what we want. So connection, uh, I, belongingness, um, you, you list all these things. And then you talk about you know, uh, safety, dominion, these are all important things. Um, for you, what do you think are, are there the strongest things that guide people that, that marketers use? Um, and when I say use, I'm being careful with this word yeah. or are, are there things, or is everyone different and you have to go find what it is that affects them? I might say it's both. So, you know, if I, in the marketing seminar, I, I used to ask people about what kind of car do you drive? And tell me why you drive that kind of car. And usually about a third of the people are sure that the car they're driving is simply sensible. They're not trying to send a message to anybody other than I picked a sensible car that was reliable and cheap. But when you hear their description of why that's true, it's different for all, they're making up such ridiculous stories about why they drive a brand new Honda Civic instead of a five-year-old used one. Why they have a Subaru. Well, I have to have this pickup truck because where I live, we, you know, the roads aren't very good. Well, no, that's probably not true. You probably just like the way it makes you feel to be in a pickup truck. Why do you like to make it, why does it make you feel that way? 
because it gives you a sense of power and authority because it raises your status in certain things because it matches a dream you had when you were a kid because it, you imagine that your dad would have been proud of you or because you're trying to show up the kids in high. I mean, it's just high school. Life is just high school. And when we think deeply about all the weird stuff we did in high school because of where we sat in the lunchroom, because of who we had a beef with, because of who we wanted to be embraced by, right? How does the homecoming queen act differently 20 years later compared to the kid who wished they'd been the homecoming queen? These things, this drama keeps happening because we, we're still humans. We're not Spock. And um, so I guess what I'm getting at is, yeah, you need to make something that consumer reports will say is good. You need to make something that holds up to scrutiny. But that's just the price of admission. The way that you actually thrive is by mattering to people's emotional narrative. Yes, and, and what's so powerful is to, to know that you're not Spock, like to tell yourself that. And so you check yourself along the way. And right. even though we wanna be Spock, we wanna be that, like just to remind ourselves along the way. You know, as we as we wrap this up, I would really like for you to just close us up with talking about being committed and creative, because a lot of people want to be creative. But what I experienced, Seth, is that they don't attach their creativity with commitment. And so we get a hot mess sometimes if we are just (laughs) creative, but we lack commitment. And this goes into your, your newest book, The Practice, you know, which I really think is so powerful and it's an important read for this time. So if you could just take us home with talking about, yes, you need to be creative, but don't be creative without commitment. I'll try. And I can't wait to read your next book. When is it coming out? It is coming out this year. I will send you a copy. Thank you what's so it, much. What's it, what's it called? Standalone. Okay. I have to change it, stand alone and then find a community and stand together. You don't have to change it. It's a great title. Um, Creativity means that you're willing to be wrong. If you're not willing to be wrong, then you're not serious about being creative because being creative is about predicting the future. It's about doing something that hasn't been done before. If you want to copy Miles Davis, so what, note for note, you know exactly what it's going to sound like before you start. But when he went into that recording studio and he recorded it in four days, at every given moment, they were dancing on the edge of failure because that's what makes it creative. And the thing is, rule number one is not only have to be prepared to be wrong, you probably will be wrong because all the easy ideas have been taken. And number two is when you are wrong, will you show up again tomorrow? Because if you are insisting that you be right the first time and that's it, you're out, A, you're not committed to being creative and B, you're almost certainly just going to fail in the long run. So back to this idea of Miles, Miles made more than 50 record albums and half of them were below average because you just don't know. That's what it is to be creative. And then you make another one. And the difference between the monkeys and Bob Dylan is pretty simple, right? Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize. Bob Dylan 
made more than 50 albums, Bob Dylan gets booed off stage every five or 10 years. The Monkees had a good run for three years on television. And that was the end of the Monkees because the Monkees didn't surprise anybody after they got lucky with the first creative insight that wasn't even theirs, right? And so you could say, I want to be the Monkees. And I say, terrific. If you can get a network TV contract, it's going to work. Congratulations. But for everybody else, what a privilege, what a chance to say, I'm going to commit to this journey of being wrong and being wrong and being wrong on behalf of the people I'm trying to serve. Wow, this is, this is incredible because, and that should give people a lot of hope to understand that everyone fails. It's the ones that keep going and keep going and uh, that make those breaks. You know, I just wanna thank you for, for your time. It's one thing to know something. I think it's a whole other level when you can like break down the meaning of it and really like deeply understand it. And Seth, in today's world, I, I find there's a lot of people like just scraping the surface of information. And that's why, um, you know, authors such as yourself that write these great books that get us to think more deeply. I love this. And we can move in business from being hunters to going back into this farming mindset of, listen, you, you've got to, you talk about this plant, tend, plow, fertilize, weed, repeat. Exactly. <laughs> repeat. So thank you for your time today. And thank you everyone for joining us. Thank well, you. It's a, it's a privilege. I know how hard this work you're doing is and I'm rooting for you. So thank you. Thank you for leading. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Stand Alone. If you like what you hear, I'd love if you leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me at I am Sabrina Lloyd or at Lloyd Agencies on Facebook and Instagram.